Chapter forty seven of Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter forty seven The Dean Elect. During the entire next week, Barchester was ignorant who was to be its new dean. On Sunday morning, Mr. Slope was decidedly the favourite but he did not show himself in the cathedral, and then he sank a point or two in the betting. On Monday he got a scolding from the bishop in the hearing of the servants, and down he went, till nobody would have him at any price. But on Tuesday he received a letter in an official cover marked private, by which he fully recovered his place in the public favour. On Wednesday he was said to be ill, and that did not look well. But on Thursday morning he went down to the railway station with a very jaunty air, and when it was ascertained that he had taken a first-class ticket for London, there was no longer any room for doubt on the matter. While matters were in this state of ferment at Barchester, there was not much mental comfort at Plumstead. Our friend the archdeacon had many grounds for inward grief. He was much displeased at the result of Dr. Gwynne's diplomatic mission to the palace, and did not even scruple to say to his wife that had he gone himself, he would have managed the affair much better. His wife did not agree with him, but that did not mend the matter. Mr. Quiverful's appointment to the hospital was, however, a fait accompli, and Mr. Harding's acquiescence in that appointment was not less so. Nothing would induce Mr. Harding to make a public appeal against the bishop, and the master of Lazarus quite approved of his not doing so. "'I don't know what has come to the master,' said the archdeacon over and over again, he used to be ready enough to stand up for his order. My dear archdeacon, Mrs. Grantly would say in reply, what is the use of always fighting? I really think the master is right. The master, however, had taken steps of his own, of which neither the archdeacon nor his wife knew anything. Then Mr. Slope's successes were henbane to Dr. Grantly, and Mrs. Bold's improprieties were as bad. What would be all the world to Archdeacon Grantly if Mr. Slope should become Dean of Barchester and marry his wife's sister? He talked of it and talked of it till he was nearly ill. Mrs. Grantly almost wished that the marriage were done and over, so that she might hear no more about it. And there was yet another ground of misery, which cut him to the quick nearly as closely as either of the others. That paragon of a clergyman, whom he had bestowed upon St. Ewold's, that college friend, of whom he had boasted so loudly, that ecclesiastical knight, before whose lance Mr. Slope was to fall and bite the dust. 
that worthy bulwark of the church as it should be that honoured representative of oxford's best spirit was so at least his wife had told him half a dozen times misconducting himself nothing had been seen of mr arabin at plumstead for the last week but a good deal had unfortunately been heard of him as soon as mrs grantly had found herself alone with the archdeacon on the evening of the ullathorne party she had expressed herself very forcibly as to mr arabin's conduct on that occasion he had she declared looked and acted and talked very unlike a decent parish clergyman at first the archdeacon had laughed at this and assured her that she need not trouble herself that mr arabin would be found to be quite safe but by degrees he began to find that his wife's eyes had been sharper than his own other people coupled the signora's name with that of mr arabin the meagre little prebendary who lived in the close told him to a nicety how often mr arabin had visited at dr stanhope's and how long he had remained on the occasion of each visit he had asked after mr arabin at the cathedral library and an officious little vicar choral had offered to go and see whether he could be found at dr stanhope's rumour when she has contrived to sound the first note on her trumpet soon makes a loud peal audible enough it was too clear that mr arabin had succumbed to the italian woman and that the archdeacon's credit would suffer fearfully if something were not done to rescue the brand from the burning besides to give the archdeacon his due he was really attached to mr arabin and grieved greatly at his backsliding they were sitting talking over their sorrows in the drawing-room before dinner on the day after mr slope's departure for london and on this occasion mrs grantly spoke out her mind freely she had opinions of her own about parish clergymen and now thought it right to give vent to them if you would have been led by me archdeacon you would never have put a bachelor into st ewold's but my dear you don't mean to say that all bachelor clergymen misbehave themselves i don't know that clergymen are so much better than other men said mrs grantly it's all very well with a curate whom you have under your own eye and whom you can get rid of if he persists in improprieties but mr arabin was a fellow and couldn't have had a wife then i would have found someone who could but my dear are fellows never to get livings yes to be sure they are when they get engaged i never would put a young man into a living unless he were married or engaged to be married now here is mr arabin the whole responsibility lies upon you there is not at this moment a clergyman in all oxford more respected for morals and conduct than arabin oh oxford said the lady with a sneer 
what men choose to do at oxford nobody ever hears of a man may do very well at oxford who would bring disgrace on a parish and to tell you the truth it seems to me that mr arabin is just such a man the archdeacon groaned deeply but he had no further answer to make you really must speak to him archdeacon only think what the thorns will say if they hear that their parish clergyman spends his whole time philandering with this woman the archdeacon groaned again he was a courageous man and knew well enough how to rebuke the younger clergyman of the diocese when necessary but there was that about mr arabin which made the doctor feel that it would be very difficult to rebuke him with good effect you can advise him to find a wife for himself and he will understand well enough what that means said mrs grantly the archdeacon had nothing for it but groaning there was mr slope he was going to be made dean he was going to take a wife he was about to achieve respectability and wealth an excellent family mansion and a family carriage he would soon be among the comfortable elite of the ecclesiastical world of barchester whereas his own protege the true scion of the true church by whom he had sworn would be still but a poor vicar and that with a very indifferent character for moral conduct it might be all very well recommending mr arabin to marry but how would mr arabin when married support a wife things were ordering themselves thus in plumstead drawing-room when dr and mrs grantly were disturbed in their sweet discourse by the quick rattle of a carriage and pair of horses on the gravel sweep the sound was not that of visitors whose private carriages are generally brought up to country-house doors with demure propriety but betokened rather the advent of some person or persons who were in a hurry to reach the house and had no intention of immediately leaving it guests invited to stay a week and who were conscious of arriving after the first dinner-bell would probably approach in such a manner so might arrive an attorney with the news of a granduncle's death or a son from college with all the fresh honours of a double first no one would have had himself driven up to the door of a country house in such a manner who had the slightest doubt of his own right to force an entry who is it said mrs grantly looking at her husband who on earth can it be said the archdeacon to his wife he then quietly got up and stood with the drawing-room door open in his hand why it's your father it was indeed mr harding and mr harding alone he had come by himself in a post-chaise with a couple of horses from barchester arriving almost after dark and evidently full of news his visits had usually been made in the quietest manner 
he had rarely presumed to come without notice and had always been driven up in a modest old green fly with one horse that hardly made itself heard as it crawled up to the hall door good gracious warden is it you said the archdeacon forgetting in his surprise the events of the last few years but come in nothing the matter i hope we are very glad you are come papa said his daughter i'll go and get your room ready at once i ain't warden archdeacon said mr harding mr quiverful is warden oh i know i know said the archdeacon petulantly i forgot all about it at the moment is anything the matter don't go this moment susan said mr harding i have something to tell you the dinner-bell will ring in five minutes said she will it said mr harding then perhaps i had better wait he was big with news which he had come to tell but which he knew could not be told without much discussion he had hurried away to plumstead as fast as two horses could bring him and now finding himself there he was willing to accept the reprieve which dinner would give him if you have anything of moment to tell us said the archdeacon pray let us hear it at once has eleanor gone off no she has not said mr harding with a look of great displeasure has slope been made dean no he has not but but what said the archdeacon who was becoming very impatient they have they have what said the archdeacon they have offered it to me said mr harding with a modesty which almost prevented his speaking good heavens said the archdeacon and sunk back exhausted in an easy chair my dear dear father said mrs grantly and threw her arms round her father's neck so i thought i had better come out and consult with you at once said mr harding consult shouted the archdeacon but my dear harding i congratulate you with my whole heart with my whole heart i do indeed i never heard anything in my life that gave me so much pleasure and he got hold of both his father-in-law's hands and shook them as though he were going to shake them off and walked round and round the room twirling a copy of the jupiter over his head to show his extreme exultation but began mr harding but me no buts said the archdeacon i never was so happy in my life it was just the proper thing to do upon my honour i'll never say another word against lord dash the longest day i have to live that's dr gwynne's doing you may be sure said mrs grantly who greatly liked the master of lazarus he being an orderly married man with a large family i suppose it is said the archdeacon oh 
papa i am so truly delighted said mrs grantly getting up and kissing her father but my dear said mr harding it was all in vain that he strove to speak nobody would listen to him well mr dean said the archdeacon triumphing the deanery gardens will be some consolation for the hospital elms well poor quiverful i won't begrudge him his good fortune any longer no indeed said mrs grantly poor woman she has fourteen children i am sure i am very glad they have got it so am i said mr harding i would give twenty pounds said the archdeacon to see how mr slope will look when he hears it the idea of mr slope's discomfiture formed no small part of the archdeacon's pleasure at last mr harding was allowed to go upstairs and wash his hands having in fact said very little of all that he had come out to plumstead on purpose to say nor could anything more be said till the servants were gone after dinner the joy of dr grantly was so uncontrollable that he could not refrain from calling his father-in-law mr dean before the men and therefore it was soon matter of discussion in the lower regions how mr harding instead of his daughter's future husband was to be the new dean and various were the opinions on the matter the cook and butler who were advanced in years thought that it was just as it should be but the footman and lady's maid who were younger thought it was a great shame that mr slope should lose his chance he's a mean chap all the same said the footman and it an't along of him that i says so but i always did admire the missus's sister and she'd well become the situation while these were the ideas downstairs a very great difference of opinion existed above as soon as the cloth was drawn and the wine on the table mr harding made for himself an opportunity of speaking it was however with much inward troubling that he said it's very kind of lord dash very kind and i feel it deeply most deeply i am i must confess gratified by the offer i should think so said the archdeacon but all the same i am afraid that i can't accept it the decanter almost fell from the archdeacon's hand upon the table and the start he made was so great as to make his wife jump up from her chair not accept the deanship if it really ended in this there would be no longer any doubt that his father-in-law was demented the question now was whether a clergyman with low rank and preferment amounting to less than two hundred pounds a year should accept high rank twelve hundred pounds a year and one of the most desirable positions which his profession had to afford what said the archdeacon gasping for breath and staring at his guest as though the violence of his emotion had almost thrown him into a fit what i do not find myself fit for new duties urged mr harding new duties 
"'What duties?' said the archdeacon with unintended sarcasm. "'Oh, papa,' said Mrs. Grantly, "'nothing can be easier than what a dean has to do. "'Surely you are more active than Dr. Trefoil.' "'He won't have half as much to do as he has at present,' said Dr. Grantly. "'Did you see what the Jupiter said the other day about young men?' "'Yes, and I saw that the Jupiter said all that it could to induce the appointment of Mr. Slope. Perhaps you would wish to see Mr. Slope made dean.' Mr. Harding made no reply to this rebuke, though he felt it strongly. He had not come over to Plumstead to have further contention with his son-in-law about Mr. Slope, so he allowed it to pass by. "'I know I cannot make you understand my feeling,' he said, "'for we have been cast in different moulds.' i may wish that i had your spirit and energy and power of combating but i have not every day that is added to my life increases my wish for peace and rest and where on earth can a man have peace and rest if not in a deanery said the archdeacon people will say that i am too old for it good heavens people what people what need you care for any people but i think myself i am too old for any new place dear papa said mrs grantly men ten years older than you are appointed to new situations day after day my dear said he it is impossible that i should make you understand my feelings nor do i pretend to any great virtue in the matter the truth is i want the force of character which might enable me to stand against the spirit of the times the call on all sides now is for young men, and I have not the nerve to put myself in opposition to the demand. Were the Jupiter, when it hears of my appointment, to write article after article setting forth my incompetency, I am sure it would cost me my reason. I ought to be able to bear with such things, you will say well my dear i own that i ought but i feel my weakness and i know that i can't and to tell you the truth i know no more than a child what the dean has to do pshaw exclaimed the archdeacon don't be angry with me archdeacon don't let us quarrel about it susan if you knew how keenly i feel the necessity of having to disoblige you in this matter you would not be angry with me this was a dreadful blow to dr grantly nothing could possibly have suited him better than having mr harding in the deanery though he had never looked down on mr harding on account of his recent poverty he did fully recognise the satisfaction of having those belonging to him in comfortable positions 
it would be much more suitable that mr harding should be dean of barchester than vicar of st cuthbert's and precentor to boot and then the great discomfiture of that arch-enemy of all that was respectable in barchester of that new low-church clerical parvenu that had fallen amongst them that alone would be worth more almost than the situation itself it was frightful to think that such unhoped-for good fortune should be marred by the absurd crotchets and unwholesome hallucinations by which mr harding allowed himself to be led astray to have the cup so near his lips and then to lose the drinking of it was more than dr grantly could endure and yet it appeared as though he would have to endure it in vain he threatened and in vain he coaxed mr harding did not indeed speak with perfect decision of refusing the proffered glory but he would not speak with anything like decision of accepting it when pressed again and again he would again and again allege that he was wholly unfitted to new duties it was in vain that the archdeacon tried to insinuate though he could not plainly declare that there were no new duties to perform it was in vain he hinted that in all cases of difficulty he he the archdeacon was willing and able to guide a weak-minded dean mr harding seemed to have a foolish idea not only that there were new duties to do but that no one should accept the place who was not himself prepared to do them the conference ended in an understanding that mr harding should at once acknowledge the letter he had received from the minister's private secretary and should beg that he might be allowed two days to make up his mind and that during those two days the matter should be considered on the following morning the archdeacon was to drive mr harding back to barchester End of chapter 47. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom.